I'm Kamaya Truett-Martin, and this is the WUNC Youth Podcast. I'm here today with one of WUNC's youth reporters, Emmanuel Tobe. How you feeling today, Emmanuel? Feeling good. That's good. So Emmanuel is a rising freshman at Elon University. He joined WUNC staff this summer as a part of the 2017 Youth Reporting Institute. He wanted to talk about the achievement gap from the perspective of the students. Emmanuel, tell us a little bit about your piece. So, yeah, so as you said, it is about the achievement gap, um, but it's also about characters. And my characters follow a couple of high school students who kind of wanted to work together and wanted to kind of, they saw that the achievement gap was happening at their school and they're working to kind of minimize it. All right, cool, cool. Well, let's hear it. Maybe the most obvious lesson I got from my AP psychology class was about math. There were some numbers that just didn't seem to add up. I was one of five blacks out of 32 students, but my school is over 40% black. It felt weird. It made me wonder if I actually belonged. Jaden Jules is a friend of mine. He experienced a similar feeling at North Carolina's Governor's School. I met him at Starbucks, somewhere we've talked about this stuff before. And I just kept racking my brain about why were the reasons why more black people were not at Governor's School, and I just concluded that Um, there were just some educational inequalities that were happening in North Carolina. After governor's school, Jaden decided to take on the achievement gap, starting at our school. He called me and a few of our friends, and together we formed the Riverside High School Black Student Union. But we got some pushback from the school administration. (laughs) Okay, so the first meeting was actually an illegal meeting. Like, we were not supposed to have it. The administration didn't like us using the word black in the club's name. They wanted to call the club stars. So we had an underground railroad meeting at the Starbucks. I literally, we, we sat outside, we pulled up like a couple of like tables, we put it together, and we just had a meeting. We had a lot more meetings after that. We earned the respect of the administration, got official club status, and started making progress. We held SAT and ACT tutoring in the winter and a college application workshop in the spring. One day during homeroom, we walked class to class, talking to freshmen and sophomores about how we need more black students in honors and AP classes. We got a bunch of black students to sign up. We got 35 more students um, for the fall 2017 to spring 2018 school year. People talk about the achievement gap like it's just a number, but it has a real impact on me and my friends. Take McKenna Kenua. She's black and she's smart. There's nothing I can do that she couldn't. But we ended up on different paths. She still talks about what it could have been like if she had the opportunity to excel in elementary school. So in second grade, our teacher was like, hey, we're going to go play like on the volleyball kind of, the kickball area, right? But then Mr. Rex, the AIG teacher, called out like five names to go in the classroom with him. I was one of those names. AIG, that's the gifted program for smart kids. McKenna went to the gifted class for only one day. And then after that, I just never saw him again. I don't, I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why he didn't sign me up. I was perfect. Second grade, I was bomb. But I was signed up. I was one of the few black kids picked for gifted classes in my elementary school. This set me up for more honors classes in high school, and I finished Riverside with all honors. I'm going to Elon with a scholarship this fall. And McKenna, our paths may be coming back together. She's taking five AP classes this year as a senior, and she's applying to college. Black Student Union had a college application workshop this past spring. 
and McKenna came. Now, I had no idea about like FAFSA, anything about that whatsoever. And so by going to that, I learned things that I didn't know. And so that's kept me informed. Jaden and I are moving on now, but McKenna's got to keep working, and the club has to keep working too. The achievement gap is real, and it's not going to close by itself. For WUNC's Youth Reporting Institute, I'm Emmanuel Tobe. All right, great story, Emmanuel. So this is your second story actually produced for WUNC. What was the most difficult part about your reporting process this time around? So this time I wanted to create a story with a larger scope. Um, And, you know, I was really ambitious with tackling a story about the achievement gap. And like I said, compared to last year, that was more about sneakerhead culture and just about shoes and kind of the quirky things that people did. I really wanted this story to say more. And through that, I had to find a way to say a whole lot in like four minutes. So that was really difficult and trying to keep that same impact and keep that same importance that's in my story, but just dial it down and only have it for four minutes. Mm, mm. So how was your process different um, from your first story? So for my first story... I spent a lot more time in like pitching and trying to actually find a story. But this year, I really came into the program knowing what I wanted to do. And because of that, I feel like it made like writing the script and stuff easier. But still, like I said, with the ambition, with the scope and how large I wanted my story to be and the different you know messages that I wanted in my story, it was still difficult. But coming into it and having that kind of game plan... And working with the mentors and Jay Price, the GOAT, it really helped me find ways to tunnel my story down and to just keep it close to the ground. Cool, cool. So um, what initially drew you to this very, very big issue that you decided to tackle? So I feel like they say it's a very, very big issue, and I feel like it is, but it's it happens everywhere, and it's really kind of close to home for me and for a lot of students. It's just something that we see every day. And I don't think it gets talked about every day, which is the interesting part because it affects students, like I said, every day. And, you know, you see it when you're walking to class and you see it when test scores come out and they're bragging about, you know, some students had high test scores and they're saying, oh, well, these students didn't, but you know what, they'll do better next year. But I don't really see a lot of real like media attention being on the achievement gap and being on how students, how black students are performing compared to white students. Um, And for Durham Public Schools, I think it's really, I don't want to say it's like under the rug, but I talked to somebody from my story and they were telling me that over 70% of white students pass their ELCs compared to under 40% of black students. And that's something that I didn't even know. And I was like, you know, that's crazy. That's insane. Why is that the case? But it's just something that not a lot of people are talking about. So I was just like, you know, I want to talk about this. I want this to be my story. Right. And that seemed pretty surprising. Were there any other surprising moments that you thought you knew but you had no idea about? Um, I guess I felt good. So I interviewed a lot of people. Like I interviewed eight people. And I only used two of them. Sheesh. Yeah, so, you know, I didn't even tell them that. They weren't being used. So, Jasmine, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> so, so yeah, so I was really 
I guess, impressed by how many people saw issues kind of like me and saw that there were like problems going on, but weren't really saying a lot about them. And they were like coming to Black Student Union meetings and I was talking to them. And when I interviewed them for my piece, they would say, you know, I understand what you're saying and I've been feeling the same way, but they haven't really been talking about it with friends or they haven't really been encouraging their friends to do some of the stuff that Black Student Union was encouraging their friends to do. So I thought it was kind of interesting how many people kind of knew about the separation in terms of like excellence of blacks and whites by test scores and by classes, but how many people were not really doing a lot to solve them. And that's not just teenagers or students, but that's also, you know, the district. And that's also the state as well. Right, right. And I think it's really cool that, you know, you were able to highlight those moments through your writing because you didn't have that much sound, but your writing was impeccable. How did you go about, you know, still putting us in the scene without having the sound to do it? So, so yeah, that was a big difference as well compared to last year. Where last year I did have a lot of, like, scenes and noises and people, like, touching boxes and shoes and cleaning them and stuff like that. And... Last year, I was really taught, you know, to let the sounds tell the story. But this year, talking to my mentors and talking to David, and he was like, you know, there are other ways to tell stories other than just like the rattling of, you know, shoes or something like that. Instead, you can describe that rattling or you can describe that place and you can still people and you can still put people in that scene. And that's kind of what I was trying to do was put people in those scenes without like I said, actually being in those things myself since they all happened, you know, during the school year and it was difficult. But like I said, just, or like you said, just really kind of writing descriptively and writing to put people in places just really kind of helped to try to tell a story or try to paint a picture. With there being eight interviews that you had and only used how many? I only used two of them. Right. There must be a lot of audio out there that you wish you could have put in. Um, which one was your favorite that you wish could have made the cut? Well, one of my friends, Jaila, she is a rising senior out of Riverside High School. And she was telling me about kind of her experience with like uh, gifted classes in elementary school. And for me, for in my story, I really wanted to focus on kind of labels and how I feel like Um, schools would put students in labels starting at an early age and kind of continue those labels on throughout middle and high school. And that's kind of how they separate people. So she actually gave me some like really great tape. Well, you lucked up. Here's your chance. Let's go ahead and listen to that clip. Um, Before the teacher pulled me out and told me that um, I had been selected to move up to AIG math. And so I initially thought it was, like, a bad thing, but um, I asked my parents about it, and they were like, no, that's good, that's good, you're doing good. Okay, tell us a little something about why you wanted it and why it may not have made the cut. So, like I said, I really feel like, you know, it plays with my idea of how they do separate students, and they give students labels based on intelligence. And for her, it was an actual label, like, it was actually a solid thing that you know, she could pick up and play with and mess with. And to hear her kind of speak about it and and how originally she was upset because she was like, why didn't I get one? And then she eventually got one and it turned to escalation. And I feel like that plays with the idea of 
you know, blacks aren't really being supported enough and that there are a lot of blacks who aren't getting those labels, who aren't getting that kind of help or aren't getting that kind of encouragement from the people above. And I really think that is kind of just a good demonstration of, like I said, the labels and the separation that's happening. And why didn't it make the cut? So it's all about time. <laughs> it's all about time. Um, and there's just so much that I wanted to say and so much like, you know, conversations that I wanted to bring up. And if I talked about the label, that would have brought up another conversation and that would have brought up another conversation. But I, I guess I just need, instead of trying to bring up conversations in my writing or in my story, just have my story encourage people to have conversations about my writing and my piece. And with that, I think I would have maybe have been trying to kind of influence people's decision if I would have said, you know, this is the label and this is what they're doing and this is how I feel. And so I feel like that's something that's something I probably should have avoided as well as just the timing of it. You know, it was only supposed to be four minutes. If I would have added it, it would have been like 4.30 and <laughs> then I would explain it, it would have been like five minutes and then David would have, you know, tried to fight me. So... <laughs> Okay, cool, cool. So, I mean, you sound very experienced, like almost on mentor level. Um, I just want to know, why did you come back again after last year? So, you know, just the experience. I feel like there's not a lot of chances for students to really just put their voice out there. And, you know, in radio or in the TV or just like platforms like that where you really get like a, where you really reach a mass audience, there's not many opportunities to tell stories that, impact you and that you know you kind of feel so this is one of those chances where you can really like I said just spit and you can really just you know say some some rhetoric and say some tea and people will actually listen and a lot of times if you try to do that people will really just blow you off and they'll say oh he's just a teenager oh he's just you know a young person and this nanny other but you know I want I want people to kind of hear this hear what I'm saying and you know hear my tea (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Um, Is there anything that you've learned differently about news from being in this program a second year? So I guess I already knew about, so in terms of like learning the art of storytelling, I kind of knew like the editing and um, how to, you know, write my script and how to kind of do the, how to pitch and stuff like that. I kind of knew the background for that information. And because of that, I was able to, kind of look outside of just my story and look at other people's and watch other people. And I think that was pretty interesting to see, like, Star and see kind of her process of finding a story and talking to David and hearing her talk to me about her many, like, different pitches that she wanted to do. And then, you know, talking to Anthony and Lulu and uh, just, I feel like it was really, I learned a lot just stepping outside and just watching other people learn as well. So you dropped this little word and you said you wanted to um, spill all the tea. Can you just explain that for listeners who may not know what you're talking about? So when we're talking about tea, we're not talking about like the letter, but we're talking about the drink. Like just something good for, you know, you can just sip on and kind of understand. But in all seriousness, though, I just feel like tea is just like information that you weren't really aware of or that, you know, just new information. So I want to tell people new information, new, su- new stuff, and just teach them something.
cool. The tea. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us today, Emmanuel. It was really great working with you this summer, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do at Elon. Thank you for having me. I'm Kamaya Truett-Martin with the WUNC Youth Podcast. We just heard from youth reporter Emmanuel Tobe. We're going to round out this episode with a piece by Dante McCormick from WUNC's 2012 Youth Reporting Institute. My younger brother, Kevron, was a diamond in the rough, but he needed guidance. He ended up finding it at the Boys and Girls Club of Durham. That's where he met his mentor, Joshua Dorsett. He kept me out the streets. He kept, he kept my head straight, and then he's doing the same thing for my two younger brothers. Kevron says the four worst years of his life were spent living in apartments on Large Street. I lived with him there for one of those years. Large Street was a place where waking up to gunfire as an alarm clock was a normal thing, and all residents were possible targets for forcible searches by the police. We went back recently and found a construction crew renovating all the buildings. Kiran says these are needed repairs after everything that happened here. If you lived on Lower Street, when I lived on Lower Street, you probably didn't seen it all, or either you've done it all. One evening while we were living there, Kiran and I were playing video games inside our apartment. All of a sudden, we heard multiple gunshots outside, then screaming and crying. And when we came outside, my cousin was laying on the ground holding her leg. And right there, used to, when they, where they building a new fence at, it used to be a fence right there. So she was right there by the fence, sitting down, holding her leg. And when we came over there, it was a big blood pool. It's a big pool of blood right there on the ground. Besides facing frequent violence, we also had to find ways to survive without much money. We once went six months without electricity or water because we couldn't pay the bills. Fortunately, even on Large Street, we still had some family and friends who would help us whenever we really needed it. That house right there, it was a woman who used to stay there. So my mom used to ask the woman, can we go to her uh, her faucet that was outside our house? And we used to fill up this big bucket full of water. So I, every time we needed water, I had to go over there, fill up that big bucket full of water, and come take that big bucket all the way back. And we probably had like six buckets, so I had like six buckets to fill up every morning before I went to school and probably like three to four times when I got out of school. Kiran and I always lived in dangerous communities, and we were frequently getting evicted. We call it getting padlocked. That's when we came home to find the landlord and the sheriff putting us out. So we would go somewhere we knew we could enjoy ourselves and be around people we trusted. Every time we got padlocked, come to, uh, my first thing was to do was to come to the Boys and Girls Club because I knew that once I got here, I'd be fed, I wouldn't have to worry about getting in no trouble. And also, I can have fun while I'm here. Joshua Dorsett, the current director of the Boys and Girls Club, was the biggest supporter of Kiran during this time. Dorsett was a graduate student at Central when he met Kiran. He convinced him to start coming around to improve his basketball skills which Kiran admits needed work. So I told him, <clears throat> you know, if you stay in school and you do your, you go to school and, you know, you meet the requirements that me and him put in place, after all of that, me and you will work on basketball, work on getting your game better. 
Dorset became an important mentor and role model for Kiran. He was there for him when no one else was. He knew the situation that was going on at home, so whenever I needed some extra money or whenever I needed some food or even a place to lay my head, he was always there. Dorset gives Kiran a lot of credit, too. He says he always listened to his advice and was willing to put in extra work to get where he wanted to be. Well, I knew, I knew his story. As a 14-year-old boy, he was forced to do grown man things. But he, got, he had two younger brothers under him, and when you saw them, you saw him. You know, he made sure they ate a snack. He made sure they ate. Um, so that right there let me know what kind of work ethic, work ethic he had. And also, he volunteered with me every summer, 40 hours a week. Kiran has gone from attending the club to volunteering there to working as a full-time summer counselor. Now he mentors kids that are growing up in the same neighborhoods we used to live in. One of them is our little cousin, Tyrone McNeil. If we, like, get in trouble, he will tell us the right things to do, and it, like, help us so we don't make the wrong choice. Now a sophomore at Winston-Salem State University, Kiran wants to use his degree to become a teacher here in Durham. And maybe I can help change a kid's life, or I can be that person that that kid look up to, and he look at me and be like, if it wasn't for Mr. Downey, I wouldn't be at the place I was today. Kiran wants to give to others what Joshua Dorsett gave to him and make a difference in the kid's life. For North Carolina Public Radio and the WNC Summer Youth Radio Institute, I'm Dante McCormick. That piece was produced by Dante McCormick for the 2012 Youth Reporting Institute. I'm Kamaya Truett-Martin, and this is the WUNC Youth Podcast. Thanks for listening.